Well, good morning, everyone. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Luke's Gospel, 18. Following, again, the life and the ministry of our Lord. Man, we've been doing this for a while now, haven't we? Doing our best to keep it in chronological order, and uh, this is where we find ourselves this morning. Little parable, eight verses long, uh, but I think there's something in it uh, for us all today. Verse one. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought to always to pray and not faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversaries. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her. At least by any, or at least by her continual coming, she wearied me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Interesting way to end that parable. Let's stand together and we'll just pray to over our text. Lord, again, we just, we don't take this time for granted. We don't, Lord. We just thank you for the desire that you have placed in all of our hearts to be students of the scriptures. I think of Paul the Apostle, Acts chapter 17, that the Bereans were of a noble character because they were students. They would even check out what Paul had to say according to the word. So thank you for that desire, Lord, and again, as we often pray, Lord, that you would anoint our minds and our hearts to receive your word, that you, Holy Spirit, would just have your free will within us, Lord, that your word, God, will go from our minds and trickle down to our hearts, that it will affect us, that it would even make us more and more like you, Lord. Again, thank you for your word, and please, Lord, just please, remove distractions from our minds. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said together, amen, amen. Of course, the parable here in our text is called the parable of a persistent woman, and <laughs> you got to love that. Well, that was my, my title of it, really, it's Persistent Widow. But uh, let's go through it. Let's look at these verses. And then, you know, maybe we could say today this is more of a topical kind of a theme today, you know, um, where we're just dealing with prayer and the persistence of prayer. And um, especially in the days that we live in. Amen, guys? I mean, if you've been following the news to recently, you know we live in some really squirrely times. Amen, guys? And some of the things that they're putting out there, 
you just got to really, you just go, you got, you start to ask yourself, is the world going crazy? And I think a lot of us would say, indeed it is. It is going nuts. And it's uncontrolled crazy. But anyway, starting with verse 1, it's, again, he speaks this parable. What is a parable? Okay, if you've been around here a little bit, you know what a parable is. It's an earthly story coming alongside of a spiritual truth. And Jesus uses parables as a method of teaching. And it tells us that he spoke a parable to, the, uh, to men. That, and here it is. This is sort of like the gist of it, that men ought to pray and and not lose heart. And not to lose heart. Okay, let me translate for you. Not to give up. No matter how crazy it is around, around you that we're not to lose heart. Verse 2 says, there was a certain city. I'm sorry, in a certain city, a judge. He doesn't fear God, nor, or God, nor does he regard man. He's not God-fearing, and he really don't care about people all that much. There was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying... Get justice for me from my adversary. And again, the idea where it says that she keeps coming to him means repeatedly, over and over and over, just asking for justice. And verse 4, he would not for a while, you know, he kept ignoring her. But afterward, he said within himself, though I don't fear God, I don't regard man. <laughs> this, this gal is really bugging me. <laughs> Sorry, that's how he's paraphrasing. And uh, she's, so again, he's, she's, he's ignoring her in verse 5, yet because this widow troubles me, and I love my old king, it, sometimes it shows a little bit of politeness, but literally because this woman is, is driving me crazy, I'm going to see what kind of justice I can get because she is just wearing me out with her constant request. Verse 6, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said now again here he's talking to his disciples i'll point that out a little later he's pointing this out to his disciples and he wants them to hear what the unjust judge said and again what was it because uh, she keeps coming she's wearing me out she keeps she's very persistent in her request and i think that's exactly what he was trying to refer to you know not that she's driving me crazy but this gal is comp she's persistent then he says in verse 5, Shall not God avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bear long with him? Now, right away, people want to go right to or gravitate right to the word elect. And they want to try to make this thing a theological thing. You know, is he talking about elect? Is he talking about eternal security? No. Listen, the parable is not trying to formulate theology or doctrine. It's really, when you study parables, there's one central thought to it. And the way you figure out what the central thought is, is to try to get the context of the parable. I mean, that's, interpret, that's proper interpretation. He's not trying to bring in the whole conversation about Calvinism and Arminianism, but he is saying, won't God avenge his elect? And he will. He will avenge it. Now, he's not so much avenging the elect as much as he is avenging his righteousness and godliness and his word and again i'll make this a little bit more clear to you as we continue to to go on verse 8 he says i tell you that he will avenge them speedily nevertheless when the son of man comes in a very odd way he ends his this parable will he find earth or uh, find faith on the earth you know 
So I think that has to be addressed too, by the way, because I've heard many people are saying that if the Lord didn't come quickly, man, no one would be saved. But I don't know if that's what he's trying to get at or to, to allude to. So again, going back to verse 1, he gives us right away, and this is what makes this parable a little different. He gives us the reason for it, almost, per se, or the point. But he says the reason he gives this parable is that men should pray and they should not lose heart. Now, who is he writing it to? That's important. Again, he's writing it to Christians. He's writing it to followers. And we know that if we go back to chapter 17, verse 22, it says right there in the beginning of that verse, then he said to his disciples, he says to his disciples that the day will come when you will see the um, see one of the days of the Son of Man, or you're going to desire to want to see the, the, the days of the Son of Man, and you will not. Now, what he's saying there, gang, is that within the early, the early church is going to have a great desire for the return of the Son of Man, namely Jesus. Now, why? That Well, because of the persecution in the early church. In the early church, Christians were hiding. They were... Um, they were um, having secret church meetings. They hid in the catacombs. In the early church, there was a great desire for the return of Jesus. And it was probably talked about often. Man, do you think today he'll come? Do you think tomorrow he'll come? Persecution was great. The way people were being martyred from, uh, martyred because of their faith was in such a wicked and just perversed and just the, the, the degradation of it all, impalement and um, just um, filleting the skin off of Christians and dipping them in tar and igniting them on fire, six million Christians within the first 10 years. I mean, that's hard to wrap your mind around, but that is historical truth. So you and I can say, no wonder the early church thought that the Lord was coming back. Now listen, the reason why the early church was wrong is they mistake they were they were they mistake the persecution for God's judgment. They thought this was the tribulation. I would have if I saw everything we were they were going through. But there's a big difference between God's tribulation and God's judgment versus just persecution. Persecution is something that the enemy of our souls will, um, will, will start. Where God's judgment is the finality of, of, of it all. But anyway. So it's important that when we read this, this parable that we fully understand that it's given to believers. In fact, I believe this parable is more important for believers today than it was back then. That when you, are, when you see the things that are happening around us, when there's this desire for the Son of Man to return, that number, the uno, one, the, what's really important is that you and I ought to pray and not lose heart. And that's what this is all about. And so what Jesus does, establishing the context, 
he had said, if you remember last week, as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot, that's what it's going to be like when the Son of Man returns. Well, again, the early church was saying, well, it wasn't quite like that. You mean like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah? You know, was it like the days with, with, with Noah? When you look at those two things there, the days of Noah and the days of, of Lot, the one thing that stands out so strongly is that right and wrong will completely be reversed. Good would be called evil. Evil is going to be called good. You know, and that's exactly what it was like during the days of Noah and also in the days of Lot. In the days of Noah, it tells us that men's hearts were bent on doing evil. They created a lot of things that were just so perverse, in fact, so perverse that there was perversion even in the spiritual realm. As it was in the days of Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah, what characterized Sodom was, Sodom was homosexuality. It's almost like today. But, but the, po the point back then, it, it, it was widespread, but back then it was well accepted just like today. And so, you know, there's just this widespread of of just immorality, there's this widespread of wickedness and the, the imaginations of men's hearts are just continually bent on doing evil. And you try to compare the early Christians to today, you can see there's a, a big difference, a huge difference. Paul the Apostle would even add to this and I read this to you last week, but I feel like we should read it again. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he tells this young pastor, Know this, that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Now just listen to this, and forgive me, but I'm going to read it slowly so it just sinks in. There's some scriptures you read this and you're thinking, my goodness, man, that's a snapshot of today. And that's my reason for reading it slowly. Men will be lovers of themselves. The number one thing that's important to them is themselves. Lovers of money. Boasting. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. You know, I, I tell the young people, listen. Yeah, the Bible says to honor your mother and your father. You'll be blessed if you do that. But it also says that one of the signs that we live in the very last days, right before the Lord would return, that there will be this uncontrol in the hearts of kids to be disobedient and not obedient to parents. They will not respect what their parents want from them. And that is a sign of the last days. Gang, we can whitewash that thing. We can say, well, it's just a different time period. God's word isn't altered. There will be, again, a thrust, a moving forward, an uncontrolled urge within kids to be disrespectful to parents. They're going to be unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, again, slanderous, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
They have the form of godliness, but they deny the very power. And so he tells this young pastor, from such people turn away. Kind of a, if you're here visiting, you kind of, when it came into an odd Bible study, I apologize for that, man. Um, uh, but this is in the scriptures. It specifically spells out to you and I what the last days are going to look like. See, that's why I, I had said earlier that the earlier church, there was such like a Levitical law, Mosaic law within the community that kids didn't, they weren't disobedient. They understood the worship of man and didn't understand the worship of Baal, that it was the worship of money and the worship of pleasure and the worship. So there was this control in that realm. But he says, but in the last days, all that will be gone away with. That men will be driven by their evil and sinful desire and it will take precedence over anything else. We're going to see a little later on where they will just mock the believer in the last days calling us old fashions, fuddy-duddies or whatever. You, don't, you can't really believe that. I believe that we are living in the last days. Now, I know that every generation has said this. The Lord could come back in our day. The Lord came back. And you hear people saying, oh, you doomsday people. Man, you've been, they've been saying that for centuries. Well, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing for the church to believe that he could come in their generation. It's healthy for the church to embrace that truth. Paul the Apostle believed it in so much. I mentioned this last week. He would tell the young men of the church, man, don't bother getting married and getting all wrapped up in that. The Lord's coming back so soon. Imagine those guys that took Paul's word and go, okay, I won't get married. And, you know, but I understand why Paul saw. Paul saw how the, the, the slippery slope that society, how it was unraveling. And he thought, this has got to be. The Christians are being killed at a record rate. Christianity now is illegal, you know. But see, he, he didn't have the full picture like you and I have it today. You and I live in a generation. We saw, well, 1948. But, but some of his were here in 1948. The rebirth of the nation of Israel. Even the secular world says that's a sociological miracle. No other race of people have been scattered throughout the planet, lost their language, lost their idea. Then almost overnight, they're back in their homeland. They're speaking the Hebrew language. They're flying the Star of David. They're using the shekel as their money system. They're honoring their forefathers. And it's all taking place in our generation. That's a prophetic fulfillment of the book of Ezekiel. That these dry bones are going to come back together again, man. And there's going to be a nation. And, and listen, God's got a purpose for the nation of Israel. He spells it out. We live in that generation. And that's why we can say with clarity and hope, Wow, could he come back today? What other, what other biblical prophecy needs to be fulfilled? Imagine all the commentators 
uh, commentaries that were written pre-1948, what were they thinking about the prophecies of Ezekiel, etc., all the others about the nation being gathered together? Most of them said, well, that's got to be symbolic. The nation doesn't exist anymore. But there was a remnant of scholars who would say, I don't care what the world is saying. Israel is going to come back together. These bones are going to come back together. And there's going to be a nation. And the star of David will fly over its capital. By the way, 1967, when Jerusalem became their capital again. And it's right for us to acknowledge that. Just had to get that little bit in there. But it's good for the church. Well, why, Har? Why do you always harp on this? Listen, gang. There's, a, there's, this, there's this push, a drive to get away from biblical prophecy. Let's not study it. It's kind of over. You're frightening people with this doomsday. Do you know there's more in the Bible about eschatology than there is the rebirth of a believer? And how important is that to be born again? You would think the Bible would be saturated with verses about being born again. Well, the prophecy as it regards to the second coming trumps that so we should be students of scripture we should look at things that are happening look i i i am not a news junkie my my pastor joe he says hey he's addicted to watching the news he watches the news 24 he just loves the news i watch it and i'm repenting afterwards because i want to hurt somebody I just like, how could you be so dumb? You're devaluing human life making that new law. You're taking the innocence away from our children by making a law and throwing it down our throats. You just watch it, gang. We are living in the last days where right will be wrong and wrong will be right. It is totally flip-flop today. And guess what? You're the oddball. No, in the kingdom of God... They're the oddballs. And God is just. And he will avenge the believer. He will avenge righteousness. It's not pretty, but he does it. Even at the great white judgment seat of Christ. Do you know what the final thing is said, declared, before the act of judgment takes place? Man, I can barely get this out. But those who will be separated from a loving God throughout all eternity, not having one hope, not one chance to repent, will say just and true are your judgments, O God. He will avenge. He will. In the book of Revelation, there are martyred believers through the tribulation sitting under the, thr- or under the altar of God. And they keep saying... To Jesus, how long will it be until you avenge our blood? And he will say, hang in there. There are more that are going to die. But I will avenge you. He will avenge. I don't know, gang, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what that looks like totally. But it disturbs me. Because I got unsaved loved ones. So do you. I got unsaved friends. So do you. And when I start to study prophecy, my heart starts to race. I want to tell them more about Jesus, how much he loves them. And it's crazy embracing the world system. 
you know, how, where it's taken them and the consequence that it's going to have on them. You know, we look at society today and we see such a, a social, and we look at the social and moral climate of it all. And we'll agree with Paul the Apostle. These are perilous times. These are dangerous times. And as I'm trying to, to convey to you, they're terrifying times. And yet, you look at the world, and you see how they're viewing it. And it's not really a, a big deal to them. But to you and I, it's a very big deal. Do you realize that after the rapture of the church, there's not one hope for anyone who believes, I'm not talking about being born again, to ever be raptured again. They'll have to face God's judgment. That, that's your sons. That's your daughters. That's your aunts. That's your uncle. So how can anyone just look at end times thing and go, man, that's, a, that's good news. That's not good news. Good news is Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He took it. And if you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to face the blood of that. That's the good news. Amen? Men will be lovers of themselves, and men will be lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, disobedient to parents. Not to bore you with all those things again out of Second Timothy. But there will be such a departing from God's word, a departing from his command. And the number one reason why there will be such a departure, it tells us in one of the minor prophets that there will be a famine for the word of God. Can you guys hear me in the back? Shake your head up and down if you can. There will be a departure from the word of God. A, desi not a lack of a desire. That Bible will sit on people's shelves never to be opened year after year after year. You want to go to a Bible? Never want to go to a Bible. In the last days, there will be a lack of a desire to be a Berean or a student of Scripture. Oh, Jesus, convict us. Whenever we think, I don't need to get into my devotions today, or I don't need to hear from the Lord today. I don't need to read His Word. My, hey, listen, my dear friends, let me challenge you. Every morning, I don't, even if it's one verse, I am not a morning person. Ask my wife. She gets a grunt for about an hour. That's it. You know, how you doing? Eh. Today was two hours. You know, but I know enough within my heart that I can open my, the pages of my Bible and I can just start reading it. Invite the Holy Spirit. Make rhyme and reason of this, Lord, please. I have life verse. You should have a life verse. It should be memorized. You should be able to put a tune to it. Life verses, life chapters, favorite friends in the Bible. John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Ha, ah, believe also in me. Because in my Father's house, there's many rooms, mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I come. And I'm where, when I come, I'll come and receive you to myself. That where I am, I will bring you to, my, to myself. Amen, God. That's an old friend of mine. It reminds me, no matter how unraveling, how degrading our world is getting, he's coming back for me. I hope he's coming back for you too. If he is, raise your hand. Okay, praise the Lord. That looked like 99.9. .9. All right. Get saved, the other one. You might be holding us up. All right. You know what? It does say that there's one people holding up the, the whole show. Now, this is just a side note. Okay, forgive me, you know. 
But, there's what, but the Bible says he will delay his coming until that one person gets saved. That's a lot of grace. But if you're in my church and we get to heaven and we've been waiting on you. Just joking. Society is unraveling. You know that. I know that. Right's wrong. Wrong is right. And uh, it's not good for a nation. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to the people. But it's righteousness that exalts it. It produces, you know, what the society is producing today is a world that I don't like living in, to be quite honest with you. I don't like this place. I don't. The world might love it. The world might have their God of mammon and God of Baal and all pleasures and money. It could be lovers of whatever. To be quite, quite honest with you, I'm not in love with this world at all. My hopes, my dreams aren't here. No, I'm not saying I live in a next door where I'm just got my, I have my head in the sand and all. I know there's certain things I like, but I don't live for this place. I really don't. My prayer is, Lord Jesus, come back quickly. Maranatha. But first save my loved ones. Um, there is an arrogance in a in 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 pride of of man so addicted to this sinful life that they're uneven they're 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 even they're unwilling to look at the fruit of what they've embraced you know you think about just how our society has devalued life devalued well, what are you talking about once upon a time that child in a womb was was held in value. No, I, I get it, and I don't totally understand everything, but I look where we came, where we have come to today, where I read this article, and I read the law, and doctors are allowed now to just set a. They won't even call it a baby. I will just let it set aside till it dies, if it's unwanted. Now I know it's complicated. Please, I'm not trying. To simplify it. And I know some of us have made some great grave mistakes. But God is able to restore what the canker worm has eaten. I, I know that. But I'm talking about how society has uh, kind of disintegrated. Where now human life doesn't mean all that much. I mean, how, look, I, I, I don't understand assisted suicide. I, I, I mean, it's not an easy thing to talk about. But the way people talk about it, you can talk. You can see now, it's it's just degrading life. I, I I don't have the answer, but I do know Jesus has the answer, right? And He will come one day, and He will reveal Himself, and He will set up His kingdom on this earth, gang. But for you and I to look at the Word and say it's not applicable today is degrading the Word of God. Um, again. You, you look at, at, at the context back in chapter 17, you know, that it's going to be like the days of Noah. The, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage 
until Noah went into the ark. What's that mean, Harry? It just means that life went on. It, 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 to whatever normality is to them, it just went on. And in other words, they didn't see how it was unraveling. They didn't see how society was at one time and where it has taken, taken them. They're, they're just clueless. And I want to say today, I think for most part, the world is just clueless when it comes to, you know, the, um, the depravity of mankind. And he says also, in, like Lot, they ate, they drank, they sold, they, they planted. Listen, what Jesus tells us in this parable and other passages, that in the last days, perilous times, they're not going to be times that are, it's, they're not going to be easy to live in. Not for the Christian. How I'm having such a hard time. That's good. That's good that you're not just buying in. You're not buying into the lies. You read the word. That's why it's so important to be in love with the word. And you read it and you read it. And you look at what society is trying to push onto mankind. And you're going, wait a minute. This is absurd. This is nuts. This is crazy. And I don't know about you. I do not like inviting crazy into my life. We see this happening right before our eyes. One generation getting worse than the other generation. Worse than the other generation. Yeah, I was so blessed with some real dynamite, just beautiful grandparents. And um, they, they just invited us in their home. They would sit. They would talk to us. They would listen. And I remember when I got a little older, 16, 17 years old, I was always asking her what the depression was like. And what was it like when, when what, what Poppy had to go through in order to marry you? Did, did you feel like Poppy really mar loved you when he married you? Did you know it was going to be a lifelong relationship with one another? And just her answers in such a simple and, and almost not childish, but childlike. How in love they were in love with each other, even at 70. How she never once ever doubted his love for her. I said, well, what was it like? I was saying to Poppy, my pop, I said, Poppy, what was it like during the Depression? He goes, well, it was hard, but we, we had strength. The neighbors hung out together and families there. And I said, and, you, and he goes, but this thing, we, we always went to church, always went to church. And we, got, we drew our strength from God. Now, I can't even tell you my grandparents were saved back then. But there was, now, now think of today. And how churches, and I'm not, I don't mean just Catholic churches. and me This Methodist church right in our town here just closed its doors because no one comes out anymore. Someone just shared that with me yesterday. Been there for almost 100 years. Times have changed. People look at life differently. I said to my Graham one time, I said, Graham, did people divorce back then? She goes, they did, but you didn't hear about it too often, and we didn't like it. Today, within evangelical christian churches, divorce rate is up in the 70 percentile. I don't, I don't know if I have all the answers, but when I look back and I see how society is just unraveling, how the love of man has changed for their wives, how respect and honor for their husbands have changed. This is just the signs that we indeed live in the last days. I wish you could see your faces right now. 
You know, in verse 1, he talks about, you know, to pray and, and not lose heart. Of course, our English version, lose heart, is two words. In the Greek, literally, it just means, it's just one word, to lose heart. But they mean, they, were, they, both, they mean the same. It means to be discouraged, to be exhausted, to be, uh, be despaired. Pray, don't be despaired. Pray, don't give up. Pray, don't get exhausted. And you just see that that is the thrust of this whole parable. To pray and to keep praying. No matter, no matter what you confront, no matter what wickedness and perverseness, no matter what they throw at us, you just stick in there and you just you keep praying. And you don't give up. And people do. People do. They get tired. I'm exhausted, Harry. And they want to give up. Now, I'm not saying they give up on Christ. I know you would never do that. If you have Jesus living in your heart, you would never give up on him. But you're kind of given up on society. And you've given up standing there. You've just given up even trying to make a difference, man. And you're just tired. You're tired of, of, of people just saying no to you. And you're tired of the oppositions. And you're tired of just totally fighting. You feel like you're in a current... Remember, I don't know if you did this when you were kids. But there was a, a stream, especially after... It rained down in the Pine Barrens. We, there was a stream us kids would like to hang out in. And, but we would stand there when the current was real strong and we would just kind of dig our feet in. Some of us would find a, a root to put our toes around and, and we would just stand against the current and we would see how, who would give in, who would just give up, who would just, you know, let the current take them away. And the last guy stand, standing uh, would win, you know. And that's how some of you guys feel today. You started off strong and you, you kept your toes dug in and you put your body weight against the flow, but you just got tired. You don't care about the new abortion laws. You don't care if they stick an instrument behind that kid's skull to kill the, the thing. You, you have given up. You just you know it's wicked. You know it's wrong, but you've given up. You don't care who's getting divorced in the church anymore. Why should I bother with it? People are going to do it anyway. You know, we should care. And we should stand. Some of us have a desire even to not just stand against it, but to actually to try to make progress and go against the current, you know. Sometimes you just start to feel spiritually tired and spiritually weak. And it takes a lot out of you. I've even had people, you know, kind of, I'm tired, Harry. I don't know if I keep going on in this marriage, you know. And he makes fun of me, and he won't come to church with me, and he won't, or vice versa. And man, I try to have Bible reading with her, and she just laughs at me, and it's an unequally yoked thing. And I'm just, well, I would tell you to hang in there, persevere against it, find that root, even if it's your toes wrapped around it, and don't give up. Be steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Paul the Apostle said, your labor will not go in vain. That wife will get saved. That husband will get saved. That child who's rebelling against you, she or he will get saved. Don't give in. Pray. Don't faint. Keep praying. Keep talking to him. You know... The indication, well, when we think we want to give up, and we're, it's just an indication that we are giving up and we're losing heart. 
don't we? I have to tell you something. It's not easy. It's not easy to walk in this world as a Christian, living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. I, I, I get that. And I know sometimes it brings us to a point where we just, we're in tears and we're crying out to the Lord. But think of Jeremiah the prophet, just for a minute. Forty years this poor guy preached to the southern nation of Judah. Prophesying what's going to happen to them if they didn't repent. He was laughed at, jeered at. He was called the weeping prophet because he wept over and over and over. Forty years and not one single convert. Think of that. Hey, my brother saw me, my, my younger brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, all get saved. Seeing aunts and uncles later on get saved. We do see God, but just think of Jeremiah not seeing one. And yet he, God showed him exactly what was going to happen to that nation. And indeed it did. Listen, gang, God has shown his bride, you and I, what's going to happen in the future, not only to this nation, but to the entire world. And it is grievous. And it grieves my heart. But he says not to lose heart, but to pray. To pray. Listen, prayer is not difficult. It's not. The reason a lot of people shy away from prayer is they just don't understand it. And I think the confusion comes when we grab a hold of books from E.M. Bounds and Leonard Ravenhill. Great reads that will convict you. And the problem is right away you're going to feel like i got to pray like E.M. Bounds, like... Robert Chapman, like Leonard Ray Ravenhill, and, and all the other early church fathers. we got to be... But see, prayer isn't just an accessory prayer. There's, when we study the subject on prayer, we have an accessory prayer. That's where people have just that gift to intercede and cry. They weep with those who weep. They feel cut in the heart when they see someone, and they will intercede. And they don't even look for a, re a reward. There's also in the Bible, public prayer. In the Bible, private prayer. In the Bible, um, congregational prayer. But there's also a prayer, it's just daily prayer. And, and what it looks like, well, in this, I think it's 2 Thessalonians where Paul says, Pray without ceasing. Well, how would you do that? It's just daily conversation. It's just knowing the truth about God's word that he's always with you. He never leaves. He never forsakes. He's always going to be. So if he's always with me, why am I not talking to him? Why don't I get up in the morning and go, wow, that was great, Lord. Thanks. You know, and just talk to him like he's your friend. Well, he tells us he's, a, he's our friend. Talk to him like he's your big brother. He is your big brother. He tells us he's... A, talk to him like he's your shepherd. He is your shepherd. Everything about him, he's right here 24-7. So again, if I can bore you with the question again, why aren't we talking to him daily? I was having this conversation with the Lord. <clears throat> I was coming down 295. I was on my motorcycle. So the guy next to me could see me. I'm talking away. 
And I'm just driving, and I'm just having a great time talking with the Lord. And we come down off the ramp there near, um, um, what is that, Dunkin' Donuts there. And the, it was light. He pulls up, and he has to ask me. Not in a nice way either. But he said, are you nuts? It's <laughs> a true story. And I went, excuse me? Do I need to put my kickstand down? Lay hands and pray on you? But um, he says... Um, he goes, dude, I've been following you, and you've just been talking to yourself. I go, oh, no, you're mistaken. I've been talking to Jesus. And he could not say another word. It was like, you could say, you are nuts, you know. But why aren't we talking to him like that? We wake up and we talk to him. We know, we know well enough to pray over our meals, grant that. I think the Lord's a catcher with a catcher's mitt the way we pray over our meals. Got it. You're, it'll be best, you know. But just to have that kind of a relationship where we just talk with him. Why? Because he lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, talks with me along life's narrow ways. He asked me why. I know he lives, he lives, he lives, he lives within my heart. Man, them old hymns. I love it when the Lord makes me aware of his presence and I can talk to him well how does this how does this relate to our uh, to our parable here well you do, most Christians will stop talking to him when they start to see the world unravel when they begin to get discouraged when they feel like they're the only ones living they're the lone rangers they're standing alone in the tide of all the disparities and they just stop talking to the Lord well that's when we should be talking to the Lord that's when we should converse with the Lord listen what prayer produces in our life for you knife takers I want to finish off with these four things I want you to write down and just consider them as you begin to talk to the Lord Number one, prayer brings biblical perspective. It does. What do you mean? Have you ever gone through something where it's kind of perplexing and, and you just don't know how, how to handle it and you sort of have like tunnel vision and all of a sudden a friend, a relative, they come alongside of you and you say, may, have you considered maybe looking at this in a, a different angle, a different perspective? And they begin to open another door for you to just look or to consider something. And you go, wow, i never quite seen it like that. You know, a few years ago, Arm and I went through a season where we just kind of lost a lot of things, you know. And, and it's easy to talk about now because we're over it. But back then, I, I think it was more difficult for me than it was her. We lost our house. Some weird storm came in. We lost everything in it. And then, uh, I, th then I lost my health. I had started having seizures and all that. And then my brother went home to be with the Lord. This was all in a two-year two period of time. My granddaughter needed a, uh, a needed surgery um, because of the chemo she had been on. And it was one thing after another, all within a two-year period. And I began to really sway a little bit. I began to, um, well, I wasn't persevering in prayer. And in my mind, I kept questioning, why, 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 why? But my, my brother, my, my Jesus, my friend came and said, how have you considered this? And I just fasted about it, and I looked at it at a different angle, 
And I know it sounds weird, guys, but I am so glad that Irma and I went through that. Because what we gained through that, not just the knowledge, but what we even gained through it physically, what we gained as she and I just clung to each other, it was off the chart. But I needed him to come and just present a different view, a different perspective. And that's what prayer does. Without prayer, he's not going to speak to you. He's not going to speak in the quietnesses of your heart. The second thing that prayer does, it encourages me. And it builds my faith. You know, you, you tell people, you're going through this, have you prayed? You, prayer changes everything. That's what we say quite often, right? Until we go through these things and we forget to pray. But prayer does build up courage and faith. Psalms chapter 3. Lord, have, how they have increased um, who trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they that say to me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are my shield, my glory, the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord. He heard me. He heard me from his holy hill. I laid down. I sleep. I awoke. For he sustains me. I'm not going to be afraid of 10,000 people who have set themselves against me all around. I arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have struck my enemy on the cheekbones. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What a great prayer. You, you, you begin to pray when you start to see the world slipping further and further and further away from their creator and you begin to become disheartened and you want to just give up you're just glad you're a christian and you can't wait and you know the lord wants more just start to pray and watch your faith grow number three it also causes you and i when we pray to get our eyes off the problem and back on god right off of god i'm sorry off of our problems and on god David said in Psalms 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hill from whence my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Without prayer, we will be earthly. Uh, our vi we will have earthly visions. Our eyes on the Lord, we're going to have heavenly visions. Where you can almost have a vision in your mind. Hey, soon and very soon I'm going to see the king. And he's coming out of the heavens with ten thousands of his saints riding on horses. That's a grand vision, folks. Rather than just watching the way the world is slipping further and further away. Number four, just in closing, guys. Prayer does restore peace and a calmness to our hearts. Peace and calmness. Whenever you feel like you're in a, a turbulent windstorm of just doubt, despair, and you're worrying about society and where is this going to lead us to, just remember this one verse. Remember Paul the Apostle says in the last days, perilous times. Don't focus on that one. But focus on Philippians 4, 6. To be anxious for nothing. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, let your request be know, made known to God. And the peace which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your mind through Christ Jesus. That's what prayer does. It protects our hearts. It protects our minds. But without prayer, again, going back to our parable, when these things start to happen, don't lose heart, but pray. 
pray. Listen, our Father in heaven is nothing like this earthly judge who answered this widow's prayer because she nagged him and nagged him. In fact, that word weary there in the Greek literally means to give a black eye. We're never going to give God a black eye through our worrying and our despair. But the one thing we are like in this parable is that widow with much persistence and much persistence. That's why he said, hey, listen to what this unjust judge said. She keeps coming to me and she keeps talking to me and she keeps bringing it up to me. And that's something that takes place daily, every day. You know, I uh, just want to encourage you to take those walks with the Lord and talk with him. If you are a thee and thou type person, just make it personal. I like to talk to the Lord just like his, his son, right? Just like a son. Sisters, talk to him. Like you're his daughter. I closed last service with a prayer, but I'll just share it with you. A guy came to me and said, Harry, I wish I could pray like you. I said, well, you just pray like you're talking to me. And he goes, just like a normal conversation? Yeah. You know, he had no children, so I couldn't say, pray like your kids talk to you. But, you know, he goes, Okay. And so he closed his eyes, and I'm watching him. And he goes, God, well, the first thing I'd like to say to you, I want to say thank you for loving me, because I know that's true. And thank you that I have heaven to go to. I can't wait to see heaven. And thank you that you made a way for me to get there. I'll just thank. And that, that prayer was so profound to me. And I think the reason why it was so profound is it was so genuine and so childlike. Now the Bible says unless you come to me like a child, unless you have the faith of a child, I'm not saying be childish, murmuring and plaining, this is a lousy job you gave me, I wanted the other job. No. Thank you. Put your hands up. I love you. I just... I just think you're all that, man. I don't know where I would be without you. You know, with all my murmuring and complaining about what Irma and I was going through, and once he shed a different perspective on it, I went, Lord, thanks for not just wiping me out. <laughs> all that complaining. and He loves you guys, and he wants you to take those walks, and he wants you to sit with him. He doesn't mind having a cup of coffee with you, a cup of tea, whatever your choice is. He's not going to sit down with you if you got a beer, though. No, just kidding. Shouldn't be drinking beer. But anyway, it's a relationship, right, gang? Let's stand together. We'll let Rich lead us out with a song.